name is Josh, lead pastor here. Uh, you have now seen all three pastors and met them this morning. So it's great to see you and, and have you joining us in worship today. Uh, I would go ahead and invite you to turn in Matthew, to turn to Matthew chapter 25. We believe in the sufficiency of God's word. And not only do we believe that it is central to our worship You've already heard the gospel sung and prayed and proclaimed, and now we will read the truth of Scripture together. So whether that is in book or electronic, join us in Matthew 25 to an odd passage for Holy Week. But that'll make sense shortly. Matthew chapter 25 this morning. Some doors, like the White House, are difficult to open. Some doors, like the White House, you only can walk through if you're somebody or if you know somebody or you've done something special in your life. Uh, A man named Shaquille O'Neal in 2009 decided to see how secure the White House was. If you don't know who Shaq is, uh, it means you don't watch basketball and it means that you probably are young because you don't know who Shaq is. But Shaq is a ginormous human being. Seven foot one, about 300 plus pounds. He has five championship rings. When he was in his prime, there was no better basketball um, player on the planet. Uh, Not only is he a big man, but he has a huge personality. He's just a fun man to listen to. And my wife, who is not here today, she's in Baton Rouge right now. Uh, She would be pleased to let you know that he went to LSU. So I don't want to um, forget that fact about him. She thinks that makes him closer to the kingdom of heaven. Um, She is still being sanctified by the watering of God's word. (laughs) She'll probably listen to this. I'll pay for that later. Um, But he was in D.C. and he he told the radio station, he said, look, I'm going to see if I can go to the White House. I'm not going to use my contacts, not political contacts or my sheriff, law enforcement contacts. He said, I'm just going to show up and see what happens And he said, what do you think? And they would call in on the show and figure out if he could make it into the White House or not. So sure enough, two days later, he was hoping to use his celebrity status and President Obama at that time, President Obama's love for basketball to make it in to the White House. And lo and behold, they did not let him by. They rejected him and told him to go away. And he tweeted out, the White House wouldn't let me in. Why? So did Shaq get in? No. Because he did not have an appointment and he did not have an invitation. See, there are places in this life that you cannot go if you don't have an invitation or an appointment. And what we're going to see today is Jesus reminding us about the kingdom of heaven. So what we read now is a response to chapter 24. The disciples gather him on the Mount of Olives. Some of you who went to Israel with me last month, uh, you were there. On the Mount of Olives, they're asking Jesus, so Jesus, you're going to bring the kingdom of heaven in. When does all of this take place? So Jesus is sharing this parable. This is the last parable in Matthew that he teaches before the anointing at Bethany, before the Last Supper, before the betrayal, before the cross, and before the resurrection. So in very important, Jesus wants us to understand what is going on. Jesus is reminding us that entrance into the kingdom of God is only found in Jesus Christ himself. Why is that important? Because Jesus is about to die. And he's reminding them, by my death on the cross, I am inviting you into the kingdom. 
It's a reminder that many will attempt to enter the kingdom of God based on who they know or what they have done. But the kingdom of heaven is different. This is a reminder that Jesus Christ alone transforms us. And this parable is a reminder that this is what a grace-shaped life looks like. And you're thinking, okay, what is this parable? Let's read it. So let's do. Matthew 25, verse 31. And I've already warned our youth. I don't want to hear any animal noises while we read this passage. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. Which nations? All nations. So what people in those nations? All will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from the other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then in verse 37, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, for you are cursed into the eternal fire. Now I want you to pause there. You're thinking, here we go, pastor talking about hell. No, actually Jesus is. I want you to catch what he says here. We're going to come back to that. Depart from me. You who are cursed into the fire, eternal fire, prepared for who? Prepared for the devil and his angels. Which means hell's not prepared for us. We choose it. We choose it. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me sick. And in prison, you did not take care of me. And they will answer too. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I tell you, Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, um, we cannot understand your truths if you do not open our ears and unveil our eyes. If you do not soften our hearts to the beauty of the good news. So Lord, water our souls this morning that we would be strengthened in our faith. And if someone has come in here not knowing you, if they are choosing hell right now, I pray that they would choose eternal life because you have invited us to know that. 
Lord, strengthen us, change our hearts and minds, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So the big idea today is this, that Jesus Christ is our righteous judge. Jesus Christ is our righteous judge. Is this not a strange answer to the disciples? When is the kingdom going to come? Jesus says, well, sit down, boys. Let me tell you about the goats and the sheep. This is the last teaching that Jesus gives his disciples before the cross. And he's asking us to, to pay attention, to listen well. This is a parable of gospel transformation. So I, I just invite you in to, to lean into the truth of scripture today and, and listen to Jesus as he says, okay, boys and girls, let me tell you about the kingdom. Listen to this good news. So we see that the kingdom begins where? Look at verse 31. Jesus gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. And he says in verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So we find in this parable, the angels and the royal council huddled up around a throne. And it's interesting, who is sitting on the throne? Well, let me just say it this way before you answer. Who is not sitting on the throne? Uh, the angels. Right? Not, not Gabriel, the one who announces the birth of Christ. Not Michael, the one who is fighting and leading the charge for the armies of God. Not Raphael, which is a, a real angel. Not the other ones that we have named. There is no angel who is worthy to sit upon this throne. And this is the same dilemma that, that John, the beloved disciple, sees in Revelation. If you remember in Revelation, John is given a, a bold vision about heaven and about what heaven will look like and about current heaven and about the end times. See, some of us, we read Revelation and we go crazy. We start predicting things and you're, you're thinking, I'm not paying off my house because the world's going to end. And I'm going to buy a lottery ticket and, and all these things. That's not what Revelation's about. Revelation is about the one who is worthy to sit on the throne. And in Revelation 5, John is seeing all these things and God gives him these heavenly visions and they're all wrapped up with a seal on them. And in Revelation 5 verse 4, we see the this disciple and it says, I begin to weep because no one was worthy to open the scroll or to even look at it. He's weeping. Like John is seeing exactly what Jesus is telling us about right now. See, there's no one worthy to unveil the throne or sit on the throne or unveil the scroll. And he says in verse five, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And it says that John looks and he says, I see a lamb as though slain. Someone killed this lamb, an innocent lamb. Someone has killed it. But John says, but it was standing. This lamb that was dead is now standing. This is the same lamb that was worthy to open the scrolls. This is the same lamb that is now sitting on the throne. And he said, why is Jesus making a big deal about that? Because only one who is worthy is able to sit on that throne. 
And you know what? The angels are not it. There's no angel who is worthy to sit on this throne. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm glad you asked that. If there is no angel worthy to sit on the throne, not Michael, not Raphael, not Gabriel, not Donatello, Michelangelo. If there is no angel worthy, I want you to listen to this. What makes us think that we're worthy? Who am I compared to the heavenly council? You see, this is what the truth of scriptures tells us. There is no one person who has ever lived that is worthy to be sitting on that throne. There is not one angel that is worthy, not one person that is worthy that has ever lived to be your judge. I am not your judge. I cannot judge your salvation. I cannot judge your sin. You should be thankful for that. And you cannot judge mine. But here's what Jesus is reminding us. This also means that you cannot judge yourself because I am a horrible, partial, sinful arbiter of grace. I am going to look at your sin and say, how dare you? How dare you sin? Your sin is a lot worse than mine. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to look at your own sin and you're going to point out someone else's sin. Because this is what sinful selfishness does. We're not worthy and yet we want to put ourselves on the throne and we say, God, let me judge. Have you ever noticed in your life how other people's sins are always worse than yours? Have you ever noticed that? If you are going to make a list of sinners, right, and you're going to make a list of horrible sinners and you, you're always going to find someone on your list that by your standards are not as, as good as you. Right? And that's why some, apparently somewhere down the line, someone said, you know what? I don't play cards. So if you play cards, sinner, hellfire, demons, angels, you're going there. At one point in time, someone said, I can't dance. It's a sin for me to dance, but you, you really dance well. So you know what? If you dance, sin, hellfire, right? You're going to dance. You're going to burn. And we find things, right? We, we pick and choose. Right? Hitler, you're walking through the Holocaust Museum in Israel last month in silence, seeing a lunchbox of a five-year-old, of a dad with a five-year-old, who his dad in Germany sent him to on the kinder train, the, the kinder transport to England, never to see him again, because that was his only hope of him rescuing his son from this oppressive government. And the only valuable he gave him was his lunchbox. And I'm thinking, how sinful do you have to be to kill millions of people? And something welled up inside of me saying, God, judge Hitler. Judge these people who would do that. And God spoke to my heart and said, who made you judge? Only one is worthy to sit on the throne. John Dryden says it this way. Everyone is eagle-eyed to see another's faults and deformities. See, we so desperately want to be seen as good. And so we find other people who we think are worse. And Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, boys, that's not how it works. Not even the angels can sit on the throne. They are not worthy. What makes you think you're worthy? This question 
then is not if Jesus will judge us. Look at verse one. When, when will all these things happen, Christ? When? So it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Jesus will judge each and every one of us. There is no one in this room that will escape the judgment of God. And his people are judged first. The judgment is all-encompassing. All nations, all angels are gathered around the throne. That's why Hebrews reminds us it is appointed for all men once to die and then judgment. You see, there is nothing or no one who will escape. But look what is not around this throne of judgment. Look what is not around this throne that Jesus Christ is gloriously sitting on. There is no jury. There's no jury. The angels aren't, they're not jeering saying, burn that guy. He is a sinner. We watched him when no one else could see. Or they're not pulling for us saying, you know what? I know he's a sinner, but come on. He had a really rough life. He didn't know what he was doing. Lord, you you know the, the, the kids he hung around with. Father, you know his predicament. Lord, just give him a break. There's no jury. Jesus Christ alone is your judge. And there are no scales either. Some of us are hoping today, Lord, if I just do enough good, it's gonna tip the scales. Um, did you see a scale around this throne room? There are no scales because my sin is eternally damning. It is eternally horrific in the eyes of Christ. And some of you are thinking, well, this is a horrible pre-Easter message. Why would Jesus remind us of this? Why would he remind us that he is judge and that we are desperately hopeless? Because Frederick Buckner says it this way, and I love this quote. The judge will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us finally is the one who loves you most fully. The one who will judge you is the one who loves you most. And I can think of no better lead way to to jump into what now Christ points us to in his word. He alone is worthy to sit on the throne. Do not lose focus. This is not about judgment. This passage is about Jesus Christ. And look what he says here in verse 32. After all nations are gathered around, he will separate them from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So why is a spiritual life so difficult? Well, the reason it's difficult is because sheep and goats pasture together. This is what Christ is reminding us, that in this room right now, some of you are sheep and some of you are goats. And this is the beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of God, it's often difficult to tell who's a goat and who's a sheep. And only who decides. Only Jesus Christ. Look at verse 32. The who will separate. So he, Jesus, will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep. Some of you are thinking right now, okay, I'm going to find out who the goats are. And you're looking, you're thinking, that's a goat right there. I saw him when he came in. I heard him, right? The bat. I knew it. Have you ever been around someone that when they come to church, they look like a sheep? But when you see them on Monday, mm, looks anything but. 
We're reminded only Christ sits on that throne. And so Jesus now asks us to search our hearts over and over again. God in his word calls his people sheep. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. What a great verse for Westerners and Americans. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Uh, What does every commercial you watch want you to do? The Lord is my shepherd. Ezekiel 34 says, as a shepherd looks for scattered sheep, so I will look out for my flock. Praise God. Jesus rejoices when he finds how many lost sheep? The one. One. Some of you here are far from Christ. And I want you to know right now that if you come to faith today, he is going to rejoice because he is looking for you. And for the other 99 that are going to get mad because Jesus is, is looking out for someone else right now, that's okay. It's not always about me. God is searching the, the one who is run away, who is lost. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is God's reminder in his word to us. That if you are a sheep, you know him and he knows you and he will separate us at the the great judgment because he's righteous. But look what is not here. There are no scales. There's no jury. But what kind of animals are not around the throne? There are no goat sheep. Have you ever seen the goat sheep? Uh, Actually, scientists have created, they call them geeps or shoats. That is not pastor speak. That is truth. Geeps or shoats. And and that rarely happens. It actually has to happen through scientific processes. But the reason that you don't see any geeps around is because if they were to have an offspring, that offspring would be sterile. It would not live. See, Christ reminds us that you are either a sheep or a goat. There are no hybrids. And we long to be people who want to sit in the middle, don't we? So Lord, I don't want to get too close to the kingdom, but Lord, I don't want to be too goaty because hell doesn't sound fun. But I know, Lord, following you, it's hard to always hear your voice and I always follow your voice. And, And Christ reminds us that you cannot be both in and out of the kingdom. So which one are you? Now, of course, we're all in church and we're thinking, of course, we're sheep. We wouldn't be here if we are sheep. But before you answer that, I want to remind you that only the good shepherd knows your heart. Only the good shepherd knows your heart. And again, you say, well, this is not helpful at all. How do sheep then become sheep? If God alone sits on the throne... If his son, who was worthy because he lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sake and then rose again, if he is the only one and he will judge us all, how do sheep then become sheep? Have you ever thought about that? How do goats become sheep? Well, look at verse 33. He will put the sheep on his right he put the goats on his left and the king will say to those on his right, the king will what? The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed, what? Inherit the kingdom for you that is prepared from the foundations of the world. 
How do you become a sheep? Through invitation, through declaration, through inheritance, and through preparation. So how do sheep become sheep? Because God invites them. Like none of us come to the kingdom because we want to come. We don't want, we don't wake up one day and say, God, I'm tired of being a goat. That stinks. And I don't want to go to the demons and to the devil and to hellfire. I think I want to be a sheep today. No, what does Christ say? He says in verse 34 to those, come you who are blessed. Why? Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. See, because of Jesus Christ's declaration, you can hear as Galatians 3.36 says, for through faith you are sons of God in Jesus Christ. And how amazing to know that through the blood of the lamb, we can hear the words, come, come. I, I long for the day that I can, in verse 34, hear that one word. If I only hear one word that God ever says to me, I want to hear that word. Come. Come to me. Run to me. Why? Because I have prepared for you through my son, Jesus Christ. You cannot enter into the presence of the Lord unless you are invited. Church people, you need to hear that. Because we like to put on our digs. We're going to wear our Easter best and say, God, here I am. I am a sheep today. And God is going to say, no, you only come through invitation. And how wonderful the invitation that is to be declared holy and righteous by, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the power of what Christ is reminding us of. This is the invitation of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I just want you to think, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to pause right now and think of that moment. Think of the moment where you were first invited to come by grace to the throne of God. And how your heart was overwhelmed. And you said, God, I don't deserve this. And God said, be quiet. Come, come to me. I have prepared for you in my son. He is worthy to sit on the throne. He is your judge and he will make you righteous. What a wonderful declaration that is. There are no sheep, there are no geeps or shoats before the throne. Which one are you today? Yeah, I find in scripture that the more I read the Bible, the more the Bible is actually reading me. Do you have the same issue? The more I read the Bible, I'm like, I don't want to read that, God. Like, it's doing something to me. And sometimes that working in me is not easy because there's a lot of goat in me. And the goat is kicking against what the Spirit is saying. And God, is, God reminds me, look, I have invited you to new life. You're not a goat. You try to be goatee, but you're not a goat. I declared you righteous. And what we see in this is the invitation now to those who have followed Christ. I want you to listen to what Jesus says here in verse 35. He says, come to me. You are blessed. Inherit the kingdom of heaven prepared for you from the foundations of the world. He says in verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will say what? Well, what are you talking about? Like when? Let me just stop there and say this. Why are the righteous righteous? Because God said they were. Let that sink in. They weren't righteous. It's easy to read this and say, well, they're righteous because of what they did. You just read it. Like Jesus said they were righteous because of what they did. No, Jesus calls them righteous. Jesus declares us righteous. We don't earn righteousness. I'm so thankful for that because I can't earn a crumb of righteousness. And God declares us righteous. And if God says it, I believe it. So when Satan says, you're not righteous, I said, you didn't hear what my father said. You know, the same one that prepared hell for you, dude. I love what we're saying. We're already saying that, you know, nothing that Satan says against us will take root if God has declared something else in our life. They are righteous because of his declaration. But the righteous almost, almost tried to talk Jesus out of their righteousness. Look what they say here in verse 37. The righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we, when did we see you? God, what are you talking about? The righteous don't say, mm-hmm, I was hoping you were looking. Yeah, when that, when that guy was naked, I took off my shirt. Not really because I, I enjoy, I didn't really want to help him. I just don't want, I'm tired of seeing naked people. That bothers me. That's not what righteous people do. And it's almost as if God in his sovereignty is reminding us that when righteous people find faith in Christ because they're declared righteous, it's almost as if we don't even notice what God is doing in us sometimes. Righteous people live out righteousness because Jesus has changed us, not because of who we are. So we don't walk around saying, I'm gonna help you because I think that you're like Jesus. No, these people are saying, God, when did we help you? God, when were you in prison? God, when were you hungry or thirsty, Lord? You're not talking about me. Lord, Lord, there's nothing in me that could serve you. That is the heart of a righteous person. They say, God, I'm not worthy for you to call me righteous. Lord, you have the wrong person. This is the beauty of gospel transformation. The, The more I lean into Christ, the more I forget myself is as if we say, Lord, I, I just want to look at you and your beauty and your majesty. So if you've ever thought, man, I'm really glad I did that. Because man, I think God would be happy if I did that. You've missed the point. God is saying, I'm going to do a work in you that you don't even know. You don't, you don't even know you're serving me because you're pouring out yourself before the world. You see, the antidote to self-love Self-righteousness and self-help is the recognition that we are the least. The reason that we should serve the world because we are the naked ones. We are the homeless. I am the thirsty. I am the hungry. And when we recognize that, Jesus says, I am the bread of life when you're hungry. When you're thirsty, come to the waters that flow because he is the living water. 
when you're homeless, he says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. This is the beauty of gospel transformation. That righteous people don't even notice the transformation happening. We say, God, when did we help you? We were just trying to love the world because you love us, because we are the least. But then there's the other side. But to those on the right, Jesus will say what? The king will answer. Verse 41, depart from me, you who are cursed into the fire of eternal hell, prepared for the devil and the angels. I just want to say this about hell. Uh, And then we'll conclude. John Wesley has this quote, and it's a beautiful thought. He says, this is not originally for you. You are intruders into everlasting fire. You are intruders. Look at what Jesus says. Depart from me, for you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. You see, hell is prepared for them, not you. But our sin is us choosing hell over righteousness. And there are some of you here today that you are deliberately, consciously choosing hell over Christ. And that, that is difficult for you to hear right now. But I tell you that because I love you, not because I hate you. There are some of you who walked in as ghosts to how dare you say that? I'm in church. Guess who pastured together? The sheep and the goats. And I pray that if you have come in here and you are prepared to hear depart from me, that God has prepared another way. Like you're an intruder into hell. Don't go that path. God came and sent his son to come into this world, not to condemn the world, but that you might be saved. But do not neglect what Jesus is saying. That if you choose a road of sin, you will one day stand before the throne of God and you will hear, depart from me to the place of everlasting fire. It was not prepared for you, but you chose it. You neglected and you ignored God and you ignored his design for your life. I wonder what Jesus would say to us this morning. I think this parable might sound a lot like this. You know, remember that single mom who was in need? Didn't have it two nickels to her name, but you fed her. And your life group took up money to help her make it this week. And you brought her in and you prayed for her. And it was difficult. You sacrificially gave and you helped her. You gave her a job and... You helped her design a plan and now she's doing well. Truly, I tell you what you do for the least of these. You you do for me also. Remember that person in jail? the, The one that committed crimes that it's even too heinous to talk about in church. Remember that everyone looked at him and said he deserves his punishment. And you remember the world church turned their backs on him? And you remember that burden that you just had to go talk to him and, and tell him that he's still loved and, and tell them that, that God has not forgotten him. And 
And you reminded him that from the foundations of the world, God knew he would sin in that way. And God is still willing to forgive him if he would turn to Jesus Christ. Truly, I say to you, what you do to the least of these, you did for me also. Remember that guy that that came in Easter Sunday and he smelled like liquor? And you know the one wearing the the Coors Light shirt because that's the only shirt that he had? And he was sitting back there by himself. And he, you could tell he just stunk so bad. No one wanted to sit by him. You know, remember the time you left your family and, and you sat with him? And, and everyone's eyes turned. Truly, I tell you, what you did for the least of these you did for me also. See, this is the power of a life shaped by grace. That was it. God, when? When did I serve you? God, I don't deserve to serve you. And God will say, you don't. But I gave my only son that whoever might believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn it, but that the world might be saved. Do not be fooled. One day we will stand before the king of kings. And I only want to hear one word. Josh, come. Come. Come into my presence. It is prepared for you from the foundations of the world to inherit something that only my son has done because he said it is finished. Come. Will you hear that declaration in your life? Because if you do, and God has declared you righteous, no matter what anyone else says, you are already declared righteous, fully, abundantly inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundations of the world. Maybe you walked in here today and, and you were prepared to hear, depart from me because you know you have sinned royally and you don't think God could love you because you don't love you. And you're thinking, if God knew my heart, if you knew my heart, Pastor, you wouldn't even say those words. I want you to know that Jesus is offering you new life right now not tomorrow, not the next day, right now, that you would turn from your sins, if you would put your faith in him, he will save you, he will declare you righteous. And you say, I don't deserve that. You get it, you get it. And may you hear, come to me to inherit new life. Let's pray.